This is episode 223 of That Shakespeare Life. Just like Shakespeare, our show is supported by listeners just like you who sign up to be our patrons. Patrons get access to special bonuses across our website, including detailed show notes that coordinate with today's show. Explore all the extras and sign up today at patreon.com slash that Shakespeare life. At that time, Arthur was a very young child and he thought he would be no problem. During uh, Richard's absence, John made a lot of trouble in England in effect, trying to seize the power, but he didn't succeed. Welcome to That Shakespeare Life with Cassidy Cash. Cassidy believes that if you desire to successfully learn or perform Shakespeare's plays, then understanding the real life and history of William Shakespeare himself is a must. That Shakespeare Life is the podcast that helps you go beyond the curtain of some of Shakespeare's most iconic works and explore the world of early modern England as Shakespeare would have lived it, learning from the writers, historians, and performers who know it best. And now, here's Cassidy. While King John isn't one of the more popular Shakespeare plays performed by companies today, taking a look back at monarchs of the past was a favorite subject for plays during Elizabethan England. To better understand the real history behind Shakespeare's version of this famous monarch, we've invited our guest and author of the book King John for the Medieval World, Ralph Turner, here today to share with us the context of King John's life, the impact of the legacy of England that he held when he was taking his tenure on the throne, and exactly what led this King John to being so villainized for centuries to come. Ralph Turner is Distinguished Research Professor of History Emeritus at the Florida State University, where he taught for over 30 years. His research field is the period of Angevin Kings of England and the common law. Professor Turner has remained in Tallahassee, Florida after his retirement, where he continues to do historical research and writing. Hello, Ralph. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Is it true that the real King John was widely disliked by those in England? Yes, he was widely disliked. Uh, He followed a very popular king, his brother Richard. That made things a little bit difficult for him. Hard to live up to Big Brother. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I think he was overall a pretty unpleasant person. (laughs) He had a not a very good personality. Uh, I think he was easily offended. He didn't have a reputation, a military reputation like his brother did. And and that was very, very important in the Middle Ages for the the nobility, especially They, they were sort of. Their profession was warriors, really. That was a mark against him. Also, he was, um, well, a recent book on King John described him as a sexual predator. And and he preyed on the wives and daughters of his great nobles, which uh, certainly didn't endear him to them. And I think that was a large factor in uh, the rebellion against him. Why was France so invested in who the King of England was? I mean, they did a, they did a lot to, to try and decide who was going to be on the throne there in England, acting you know, against King John. Why, why did they have this investment in, in that decision? Well, that, that's a very complicated question, uh, because the King of England was also uh, a ruler in France. He uh, the King of England was at that time was also Duke of Normandy, and he was uh, Duke of Aquitaine 
through Henry II's marriage to Eleanor of Aquitaine. And so he ruled most of Western France uh, as well as England. But the problem was that he held that territory as a vassal of the French king. In other words, in his capacity as Duke of Normandy and, and, and Duke of Aquitaine and Count of Anjou, rather than as King of England, uh, in the eyes of the French king, in other words, he was subject to him for those English territories. So there was always a lot of friction because of that. By the time of Philip Augustus, the, uh, the French market, monarchy was getting much stronger. It had been weak uh, earlier. And uh, uh, he had a good income, and he was eager to extend his control over those territories, uh, particularly Normandy. They had a lot of conflicts because that that bordered directly with uh, the Ile de France, which was the home base for the French king. So who did France want to be king of England? Who was their choice? Well, at the time of Richard's death, they definitely wanted Arthur. Because he he was, uh, I, I think he was actually at the French court at that time. And, and uh, his mother was, uh, she had kind of a mixed relationship with her family. She'd been married to uh, Jeffrey, uh, who was uh, Eleanor and Henry's third son. That's how Arthur had his claim to the throne, uh, through his father. She was uh, not really happy with her in-laws. Then the Bretons themselves, uh, they weren't directly controlled by the Angevin kings, but but they were in, in a long distance sort of way. They didn't want to be more tightly under uh, Angevin control. But um, when I say Angevin, I mean that that's the term we use for the kings from Henry II on, uh, because he was, he was originally Duke of Anjou. So when John opposed Arthur as king, was he just purely selfish, wanting the throne for himself, or did he have other reasons, maybe even a personal hatred for Arthur that made him refuse to give up the throne? Well, obviously, he really wanted to be king. John had, had been named by Richard on his deathbed as his successor much, much earlier. When Richard went away on the crusade, he named Arthur his heir. Largely because at that time, Arthur was a very young child, and, and he thought he would be no problem. During uh, Richard's absence, John made a lot of trouble in England, in effect, trying to seize the power, but he didn't succeed. But nonetheless, Richard did name John his successor when he was lying on his deathbed. I think his mother also favored John rather than Arthur, so he did have a legitimate basis, you know, for opposing Arthur. Now, Arthur was still pretty young at this point. And in, in Shakespeare's version of events, the young Arthur, he dies rather graphically in the play. Do we know how much of Arthur's story uh, is, uh, Shakespeare's version of Arthur's story is true? What do, we, what do we know from history about how Arthur died? Well, we know a good bit because, uh, for one thing, uh, Arthur's keeper at that time was William de Breos, who was a, a leading English noble and very loyal to John, but eventually they parted company. He had lands in, in on the Welsh frontier, and there was an Elsh, Welsh abbey that kept uh, Chronicle going. Uh, they, uh, they, they, they wrote up the history, you know, and, that, and that's the, one of the main sources for information about Arthur's death. 
And so it's assumed that William must have talked with the monks there, and they had direct access to what happened. Uh, and then uh, there's another chronicle of uh, Ralph of Caucus Hall, and uh, he he has a good bet on Arthur's death, too, but he probably was not as well-informed as the Margam monks were. So we have the story from from them, which indicates, obviously, that our, that John ordered his killing, but we don't know that John actually killed him himself. Uh, what I've read is that he had he hired somebody to do it and well in in Shakespeare's version the way it goes down is he hires somebody to kill him and then the person goes to do this and they're moved by Arthur's youth and innocence and they morally con- in their conscience can't bring themselves to follow through on this action and so while they're hesitating Arthur decides he's going to try and escape and I'm sorry here's a spoiler alert for anyone that doesn't know the story but Arthur jumps out the window of the tower where he's being kept and the fall actually kills Arthur. And I, I've read that this is Shakespeare kind of meshing up those historical chronicles that you mentioned into something that would work on the stage, because we do know, or or at least we have indications to believe that John did hire someone to go and, and kill Arthur. But did they back out? Or I, I read there was a legend or a rumor somewhere that, Arthur may have escaped or that we we weren't really sure whether he had actually been executed as they as as John ordered. Well, uh, Shakespeare compresses a whole lot of chronology. Uh, <laughs> well, he's only got two things. hours. He can be but a little they, bit forgiven. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, but they happened, uh, you know, months or years. <laughs> uh, the other chronicle, the Coggeskull Chronicle, gives the story of of earlier when John, uh, Arthur was in. Well, first of all, Arthur and his mother escaped when they were first captured by by John. When when war first broke out, you know that was that was much earlier than than the time of his cat his his later captivity. Um, in other words, he had two cat two captive periods, but the other one was was with his mother and was very short, and they both escaped. And then later he was captured after a, a great battle that John actually won. That was that was his biggest victory uh, in his whole, entire life. So then he was uh, imprisoned uh, and, and he had another guardian, which was Jeffrey Fitzpeter, who was uh, very prominent in, in the royal government at that time. The story is, of course, that John ordered Jeffrey Fitzpeter to see that uh, Arthur was blinded and castrated. That would have made him unfit uh, for the throne, and that that was a common practice. Well, I won't say common, but a practice in earlier in the Middle Ages, in, in say the eleventh century. You know, it had died out by twelve hundred. But anyway, that's that's the story, and that that Jeffrey just refused to do it. Uh, he, he he couldn't bring himself to do that, and then later he was transferred to another guardian. And and he was brought to Rouen, the capital of Normandy, you might say. And uh, at that time, I, I that's that's when he actually died. When he was there, we don't know how he died. Of course, the legend there are different legends about it. So, what happens to John after Arthur's death? Does the demand for his removal as king subside at that point because Arthur is? gone or are the forces against him emboldened by Arthur's death? 
Well, Arthur's death left a bad taste in the mouths of the, the baronage, but John was stably on the throne, although opposition gradually grew throughout his reign. In about 1205, he had a terrible fight with the Pope over the appointment of the Archbishop of Canterbury, and England was placed under an interdict, and all sorts of bad things happened because of that. And then uh, later in his reign, uh, he was preparing for a great military campaign to invade Normandy and try to take it back. He lost Normandy in 1204 to uh, King Philip Augustus of France. And uh, so he was demanding a lot of money from the baron, everybody, all his his subjects. He's trying to raise enormous sums of money. So he grew steadily unpopular over the years. And in 1212, there was a, a plot against him by the barons he was he was raising uh, an army for uh, a war against the welsh as the troops were gathering the, some of the barons were planning to overthrow john but that that plot was exposed and uh, it, it didn't succeed then the the actual rebellion didn't break out until 1215 of course that that resulted in magna carta uh, where john had to uh, admit that his powers were limited as king. Which set into motion a whole huge chunk of history for people all over the world, including us here in the U.S. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now, in, in Shakespeare's version, John dies from poison. Was he actually poisoned in real life? And who becomes king after all is said and done here with John's drama? Well, John didn't die until 1216. So he had quite a long time to live after <laughs> <laughs> After Arthur's death, there have been rumors that he was poisoned, but it doesn't seem likely at all. There are different legends that he, I tend to get Henry the first death and John's death mixed up because both of them are, are their allegations that they, they ate something that disagreed with them and killed them. I think it was, a, in John's case, I think it was peaches. <laughs> <laughs> and in Henry the first case, it was uh, some fish. <laughs> okay. It's, it's very doubtful that, that he was poisoned. He was, uh, I mean, people died very pretty young in the Middle Ages. You know, I mean, uh, I, I think guess he was in his mid-50s probably when he died. Okay, which is similar to Shakespeare. Shakespeare's 52, so. Uh-huh. And now I know Shakespeare was well after this, but I feel like that 50 to 70 was sort of a, a full life for that that time period, which seems seems young to me. I always read that and I'm like, wow, that that seems very young to me. But, you know, I I, I don't know. I've heard that. But I, it's interesting that Shakespeare isn't purely making up the, the poison theory, that that was a, a rumor that existed about John as as at least one plausible story for how he died. Well, I don't know whether there were rumors at the time, but the rumors later. Okay. <laughs> Historians today are still trying to prove it. They're still tossing this around. Okay. Well, it would be just like Shakespeare to poke at a controversy. So we'll we'll give him that. Right. Now, I know we would love to learn more about the story of King John, and Ralph has written a great book about King John published by the Medieval World. It's available on Amazon, and we will link to that in the show notes for today's episode. But Ralph, I wanted to ask you, what are some of your favorite books and resources you can recommend for us if we want to explore the history behind Shakespeare's play on King John? I suppose the standard book would be one by W.L. Warren, which is the uh, volume in the uh, Yale uh, 
English Monarch series. It was written as a small book, too, but was revised and expanded uh, to be in the Yale series. So that's probably the best extant biography of King John. They're, the most recent one is by Stephen Church, who's a, an English scholar. He wrote that to coincide with the 800th anniversary of Magna Carta. So it's uh, primarily about John's and Magna Carta, you know, although it is, is a complete biography. And then there are other studies, you know, the, uh, a biography of Richard by uh, his brother by uh, John Gillingham is would be very useful because uh, John was very important during uh, uh, Richard's absence on the crusade in England. Another book that would be very valuable, even though it's, it's not really about King John, but just for the feel for the mentality of that period, a biography of William Marshall. He had a, uh, an important role, really, beginning with the time of Henry II on through the, the childhood of uh, Henry III. He was regarded as the most valiant and noble knight in England. There are several biographies of him, and, and then there's, of course, an English translation of this, this contemporary biography, which was, a, of course, it was a poem, a, a, a great long poem, like an epic poem, you know, about his life written in French. So all those works would be helpful. Those are excellent suggestions, and Ralph has kindly sent us a list of these recommendations that we will place links to in the show notes for today's episode. So make sure you hang on for the URL for where to find uh, these resources. There'll be direct links and you can just click and, and find them along with the link to Ralph's book. Now, Ralph, we ask everyone this next question here at That Shakespeare Life, and that's, what's the one book you would take with you on a deserted island? My friends in England tell me I'm supposed to allow you the complete works of Shakespeare and a copy of the Bible. So your choice would be in addition to those. Well, I thought long and hard about this question, and uh, I think I would take the complete novels of Jane Austen. Oh, that's a great selection. I love Jane Austen. You'd be well set up on your deserted island for sure. I I love her novels, and I think you can just reread them and read them and find more and more in them. Absolutely. Well, Ralph, what's next for you? What are you working on now that you're excited about? Well, I'm trying to finish up an article on the illegitimate children of King John. Fascinating. I think it uh, will be very interesting when it comes out. What you mentioned about his behavior earlier, I'm surprised it's easy to track all that down. <laughs> I imagine there's some really wild tales to to chase down for that. We'll look forward to seeing that come out and be able to to follow up on our study of King John here. Ralph Turner, thank you so much for being here with us this week and taking us through the history of King John and helping us understand Shakespeare's play a little bit better. This has been a fun conversation and I thank you for being here. Well, thanks very much. It's my pleasure. If you like the show today, be sure to let us know about it. Drop us a comment and a rating from wherever you're listening from today. To access the detailed show notes for today's episode that include behind-the-scenes history, special woodcuts, portraits, and artifacts related to our study of King John, you can use the orange Patreon button on our show notes page to log in as a patron. Once you're logged in, all the extra history will automatically expand right there on the show notes page. Our show notes for today's episode contain more information on our guest and a collection of resources you can use to explore today's topic even further. You can find all of these things at CassidyCash.com slash episode 223. That's CassidyCash.com slash EP 223. 
Just Like William Shakespeare, our show is supported by listeners just like you who sign up to be our patrons. To say thank you for your support, patrons get access to research that went into today's show. These extras include woodcuts, paintings, and museum artifacts for today and every episode of That Shakespeare Life. Plus, our patrons get access to special bonuses like extra episodes, classroom resources, and exclusive merchandise. Learn more and sign up today at patreon.com slash that Shakespeare Life. That's patreon.com slash that Shakespeare Life. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. I'm Cassidy Cash, and I hope you learn something new about the Bard. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to That Shakespeare Life. As always, the best conversations happen after the episode over at CassidyCash.com. Become a part of a vibrant Shakespeare conversation by adding your voice over at the website. Until next time, remember, when you want to know William Shakespeare, you have to go behind the curtain and into That Shakespeare Life.